I'm a member of the Red Sox Nation. It's a kind of a family. Wherever I roam, a Fenway home, that's where I long to be. I'm a member of the Red Sox Nation. It's a kind of insanity. Yeah, I live and die with Red Sox pride for eternity. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Benny and the Bets podcast covering Boston Red Sox baseball. For everyone staying up late tonight on Periscope, the podcast, as always, can be found on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and literally everywhere. Right above the Periscope window here is also the Apple Podcast link. You can click that, subscribe. All of our shows are available. And if you want to rate us five stars, leave some comments, that would be wonderful. Red Sox just wrapped up a three-game set, although it felt like four games, against the Minnesota Twins, taking two out of the three. I am Terry Cushman, and I'm joined, as always, by Jeremy Schilling and Liz Churchville. How are you guys? Well, Terry, I, <laughs> I'm as I'm as good as I've been on this podcast in 2019, my friend. Uh, and I'm as shitty as I've been, which is a strange turn of events. Somebody's team got stuck uh, by the Yankees. I would say a nice turn of events, but, you know. Uh, yeah. Well, we can't let the Yankees get too far out. You know, we needed our team to at least take one or two uh, out of the series. But we'll get into that shortly. Um, two out of three against a first-place team. We have losing records thus far against all good teams we've played. So, finally, it's nice to kind of... Turn the tide, and I think tonight is, let's see, seven out of the last eight games, something like that, we have won. So, um, trending in the right direction. Got an easy schedule coming up. But uh, late start, so let's uh, get right into heroes and zeros. Jeremy, who's your hero? Rick Porcello. Um this was a series we were all worried about. Um, even after the Orioles sweep, we were all, um, it was Steph, not Liz, but we were all skeptical rolling into the series about what would happen. The Twins have been one of the best teams in baseball, hands down, all year. Um, I predicted uh, winning one game. What wasn't going to be surprised by a sweep, but Porcello just set the table for what was an awesome series, a really entertaining series by just good quality baseball games that were entertaining to watch from start to finish. It was refreshing. I'm in a great mood, um, shocked by the whole situation. And I give a lot of credit to Rick. He comes out seven strong innings, four hits, one walk, eight strikeouts, completely dominated the lineup. Uh, 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 this is a game I think Vasquez picked a guy off a third, or was that last night? 
No, that was last night. Um, so Porcello was a relatively stress-free two-nothing game by stress-free two-nothing game standards. Uh, Brewer Brazier uh, came in. Brazier was really sharp, by the way. I know he's not uh, um, he's not my hero, but I thought he was really good in this game. Totally set the table for the series, and I couldn't be happier. It save and preserve the bullpen coming off a bullpen game on the in the last game of the Orioles series. Very very important, um, and I think it's a uh, for the first time since the last podcast before opening day. I feel optimistic that this team is about ready to go on a run here. So. And we really are, like I said, you know, already having won uh, seven out of the last eight or six out of the last seven. I don't know what it is, but it was a nice continuation. And for everyone who told us, oh, you you swept Baltimore, that's not a big deal. Well, you know, we took two out of three against a good team uh, in Minnesota. And Porcello, like you said, just absolutely locked in, was dealing seven scoreless, you know, I've been thrilled with that. Here's a question, and this might be more of a general segment thing, but we may as well just throw it in now. Did the Red Sox screw up last offseason by committing to Evaldi and not Porcello? It's an interesting. It's an interesting. It's an. It's it's interesting. It's a really good question, and it's possible. Um, I think Evaldi has a higher upside, but Porcello's just been so fucking consistent. Uh, I don't remember the stat, but isn't he like the only guy in Major League Baseball who's thrown 180 innings or more in the last eight consecutive seasons? That- so it's hard to it's hard to walk away from that, you know, um, because of obviously Evaldi's still on the disabled list, having had a setback. But if Avaldi comes back and he's got a plus plus fastball with plus plus command, and you know maybe gives you the versatility of being a starter or a late inning reliever, you know three years from now if he's healthy, it could be one of those situations where the answer could change. But I don't know how anyone could answer that any other way based on current information that that's that that money should have went to Porcello. Well, in my opinion, there was less risk. And when you cite the inning stat, that may be correct. I do know for a fact, though, that he has never started less than 27 games his entire career going back to 2010. No, actually, I think that's 2008. I take that back. So, um, I mean, there, there was just less risk with Porcello. You know, Evaldi's had his third surgery, you know, in in the last two years, I just, I have serious concerns. His fastball is is one of his money pitches. His cutter is the other. I just don't know that Evaldi's elbow is going to be durable enough to throw that pitch. And it's just, you know, we have the benefit of hindsight right now in, in late June, but you know, Porcello was willing to take a discount. You know, he had a Bogarts-type mindset. He just wanted to stay in Boston. He likes it here. He won a Cy Young here, a World Series. And he was coming off a decent year last year. And, you know, the Red Sox just weren't really interested. And it's just going to be painful, you know, if he goes to Houston next year. I doubt he'll go to New York because they got payroll issues. But 
this is he's a horse. We know who he is, and like you've said in past shows, you know he's going to give you a chance to win. You know every time out, and I just when he went seven scoreless in a big spot, you know it just. That was my moment where I'm like, you know, we should have committed to him. Here's the thing with Porcello. Porcello could be in the middle of just an all-time terrible month, okay? You know, we're talking can't get through five innings, you know, being hit all over the ballpark. And then there's that start where they need him. There's that start where the bullpen's exhausted. They got a a 4A pitcher going the day after, and they just, you know, Price got knocked out the day before and oh my god it's Porcello and he's just getting crushed the last four or five starts he always shows up in that moment I mean he always shows up in that moment and that's what he did in this series against one of the best offenses in the game against Barrios who by the way was probably better but for his first inning troubles I mean eight innings pitch five hits a run it was earned 10 strikeouts. He was dominant. They had literally no chance to score runs after the first inning until he was out of the game. And yet Porcello, from the start, was as close to perfect as you could ask him to be. And they won the game, a game they had to win. A game that, you know, they got to start beating good teams. Porcello, coming off a bullpen game, was exactly what you needed him to be. I mean, it's just the way he's been his whole career with the Red Sox. It, I mean, it's it's kind of like a phenomenon. Uh, so, I mean, I can't say enough things about him in this start. I think it was a, a catalyst for the whole series. It, it protected the Sox in the 17-inning game last night. And, you know, again, and I'm, I'd like to give Erod the runner-up hero because I thought he battled tonight. And, yeah, he gave up, you know, those two home runs that were, I mean, they still may be backspinning into orbit. But... At the end of the day, he gives you seven innings, and between Rick and Eduardo, you, you've protected the bullpen as best as you absolutely could, given the fact that there was a 17-inning game you lost in the series. I mean, that's why I'm so over, you know, overwhelmingly positive about where we're going here, because this, this thing could have gone so different based on the, the circumstances that were presented. Yeah, absolutely, and I just, you know, like you said, it set the tone, you know, you know, coming out of that game, you just got to win one out of the next two, and, and granted, if we could could have swept, it would have been all the, that much better, but, you know, I you had a good feeling, you know, for the rest of the series. Uh, Liz, any thoughts on Porcello yeah. before you get to your hero? Um... I mean, you guys, you know, pretty much have said everything. My hero is uh, kind of a little bit involved uh, with Porcello. Uh, but before I get into that, uh, a question I kind of had was, you know, because they did so well against a team like the Twins, I mean, you guys have pretty much already said it, so I don't know why I'm asking it. But, I mean, do you think this really could be a solid turning point? Like, for some reason, you know, things just started clicking and they figured out how to win against you know, really good teams like this. And so they're going to, you know, they're going to start steamrolling other teams perhaps, or do you think it's just a fluke? What's your feeling? Uh, That to me is a really good question. The last time the Red Sox beat a good program was the devil Rays about a month ago. And we all talked about that, that 
that was potentially the the sounding board to to a successful run, and it just wasn't. Um, and I'd like to think that here too. And I think it's absolutely possible, especially coming off the sweep of the Orioles. Here's where I ha- here's where I'm positive, and here's where I'm negative. I'm positive because the schedule stacks up appropriately for that run. Toronto sucks. Um, and I really think they're going to roll into, I think they got sale. We're going to get into it, but I think they got sale going Friday, um, against someone who sucks, Trent Thornton, where the fuck that is. Um, and, and things are, and, and, you know, they got, um, Porcello going in that series too, who, uh, you know, I've already talked about Rick. So, uh, and then they go to the white Sox, who are, they're out kicking the coverage. They're, they're about 500, but they're not good. So I think the schedule sets up for this to be that sounding board. Here's the problem. I hate this London trip. I hate it. I hate it with a passion. I, I hate the travel. I hate the extra day off. I hate that it's against the Yankees. It scares the shit out of me. And the thing is, is that they come back, and I think they have Toronto again, followed by some other bullshit, terrible team. But it's one of those things where, you know, that trip just... It happens in the NFL all the time. Uh, the Celtics went to uh, London, I think, uh, last year. And when they got back, it took them a week to start winning games again. There's something about that travel, that trip, the change, and whatever it is, it scares the shit out of me. So honestly, I don't know. I mean, I and and with the coupled with the last time it happened against the Devil Rays, um, although the schedule was tougher then. So I think they're going to be. I think they're going to be good through the London trip, and then. We'll see what happens. That's my opinion on it. Don't we play the Yankees for two more games immediately after we get back, though? Let's see. Oh, we do not. All right, never mind. Nope, you're right. We go right into Toronto. So, yeah, that is kind of a shitty setup there. You know, if they were a little smarter about it, maybe they could have lined it up more with the All-Star break, which starts on, uh, looks like we're off from... June 8th until the uh, 12th, uh, July 8th through the 12th, excuse me. So that would have been a nice four-day recovery period and maybe maybe five if they could have staggered in another off day. So I don't know why they just didn't didn't try that where it was so close, but... But uh, I, yeah, I mean, we, we might be sleepwalking through that Toronto series. It's a problem. It's a problem. And look, it, it, it happens, and the NFL has acknowledged it to the extent where the teams that go play in London come back to a bye week where they don't have to play for a week. Um, and uh, The most recent example I can think of is the Celtics went and played the 76ers out there and came back and struggled mightily when they got back into town. So, I, you know, I don't know. But, I, look, the team is trending in the right direction. And one thing I notice is they're playing with a little bit more happiness. And maybe I'm even, like, looking for it. So, you know, if you're going to pick on me, now may be the time. But, I don't you know, just the play Holt made in the ninth and the, on that shift tonight, like, things are, like, Things are just going the right way, but for uh, a couple of people, I know we're going to point out in the zero pod, in the zero section of tonight's podcast. And there, I have one really, really big concern, but I'm going to wait until the person who picked that person as a zero brings it up. 
Well, one more thing. Teaser. And then, uh, that's, and then that's, that's how you it. tease, Liz. And You're then, welcome for the lesson. <laughs> and, uh, well, one more quick thing um, before I get to my zero, just about my question. The thing that makes me think that this is a positive turn is just the way that the bullpen handled such a good team. I mean, I was looking at um, just the sheer number of home runs, and I know, like, the number of home runs in general this season for every team has been, I don't want to say alarming necessarily, but interesting. Like, I feel like there's so many home runs hit every game, and they're exciting, and I love them, but it's just so strange to me that there's just so many now where it doesn't seem like any other season it's it's been like this. But, you know, the the bullpen held their own, you know, held held their own against a team that has the most home runs in the league right now. I think if if the article that I was looking at is up to date, it said 138. 138! fucking home runs and that's 44 or something more than the second place team which is the Rockies and if a lot of games are getting one on home runs and they held off the team that's hitting the most uh, I think that's pretty fucking good so so going into my zero uh, what did you have something well, I was just going to say there was one night last week where there was literally 55 home runs and that one night Jesus. it was just insane yeah yeah, there's going- something. There's something going on. I mean, they're great for the game, and, and I mean, considering uh, viewership and uh, and everything is trending down, having anything that brings people to the game, you know, I'm for that. It it's just very weird. Some something's definitely happening, but but oh well, I guess we'll never know. But uh, my hero, uh, as Jeremy would allude, has alluded to a little bit. Um, it's going to be Sandy Leone, and uh, I know I pick him a lot. I know I'm a Leone person, and, and maybe I'm a, I'm copping out at this point, but I'm not going to downplay how great Rick Porcello did. He's, he's great, but I really think a major part of him doing well is having Leone, you know, behind the plate for him. You know, you guys have said multiple times, you know, he's, he's a Leone guy too. You know, he's said, you know, he's the best catcher that's ever caught for him. He calls a good game. He trusts him. And I feel like as much as some people hate personal catchers, that's important. That's important. They didn't bring Leon back from Pawtucket to hit, even though I know he can't hit. I get it. But they brought him back to catch Chris Sale and to catch Rick Porcello and to catch whoever the fuck they tell him to catch. And uh, and he's doing that well. So I feel like, you know, for that and uh, to, to call the game and to shut out the Twins, um... You know, uh, he he deserves, you know, he deserves to be a hero uh, in that respect. Go ahead, Jeremy. <laughs> Terry. Oh, Terry. Uh, wait a minute. I said, first of all, I have to say with all due respect, because that allows me to say everything that I'd like to say. Mm-hmm. This guy, <laughs> 0 for 7. So he's 0 for 7 in this series. His average is now 197, and I think average is one of the least important offensive statistics in baseball, so that's fine. Let's check in on his on-base percentage, 279. Let's check in on his OPS, which I think is the most important stat as to an offensive player's production, 582, which is like approaching almost 200 points below the major league average. This guy just blows. He's an automatic out on the plate, and I'm not going to belabor the point because I hit on it pretty uh, conclusively last week. But, I mean, if they lose the game 2-0, 
and he's he's 0 for 7 in the series, and they lose another game 3 to 2, and he's 0 for 7 in the series. It just to me, it, it's 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 a problem, and I'm it's like whatever. I'm residing myself to the fact that these um, professional athletes need this particular player to catch their pitches and call the the, the pitches that are being thrown. But it's gonna be a problem at some point. I just I, you know, it is. I, I feel strongly about it. I know there's a lot of people that disagree. That there are people that believe that his defense and his calling of a game and his trust from the pitching staff far outs out outs, uh, outreaches the concerns about his offense. I'm not one of them. I, I think it's gonna be one of the problems eventually. I really do. And you know, I mean, for those that say, well, he's he's gonna be better offensively. No, he's not. His career, these are his his career stats: two twenty four batting average, two eighty eight on base percentage, six twenty three OPS. The guy just sucks offensively. So it is what it is. I know he's a backup catcher. Uh, I know that backup catchers are intended to be defensive players, and I have no problem with that. I just think that he's so pathetic that it's a it's a hamstring. I, I this is one of the first times I've said this on this podcast, Liz. Respectfully, I disagree with your hero. Well, let, uh, let well me might, might I point out just quickly before okay. before Terry does anything, the one game he didn't catch was the one game that they lost. Bingo. Question mark. <laughs> they, they won the two games he caught. Last year, I, I can't get – I'm still searching for this year's data because there has to be an article that has it. But last year, in games that Sandy Leone started, the Red Sox had 60 wins, 6-0. 60 wins, 15 losses. They were phenomenal with Sandy Leone behind the plate. And it's it's similar this year. I saw a recent stat. I don't have the exact numbers, but the Red Sox win a lot with Sandy Leone catching. And maybe it's going to be an enigma to the people who don't like him because he is an automatic out. He went 0 for 7 this series. But... They won the two games that that he was catching, and I don't think he would have been catching today had it not been for the 17 inning, you know, marathon yesterday. Vasquez would have been in there, but um, but the data the data strongly supports you know having Sandy catching you know at least a couple of times through the rotation and and. I, I'm a Sandy guy, you know, and I, I don't know. I just, I just have a lot of confidence in the pitching staff when, when he's doing the catching. Terry, let me, let me ask you a question. So you're, you're, I know you're a Sandy guy and I know you're not a JBJ guy. Both players are primarily the value of the player is on the defensive side of the game. And I understand that all things are not created equal between the defensive importance to center field and the defensive importance to catcher. But how can you explain your backing of Leon versus your, at times, evisceration of JBJ, given that they are primarily defensive players with woefully, you know, and Leon's a much worse offensive player, but I mean, it. I mean, I'm sure you get my question at this point, so I'll just see if, if you have any comment there. It's really simple. You know, uh, Sandy's going to play two out of every five, and Bradley's going to play five out of every five and, and hurt the lineup on a lot more days than Sandy Leone is going to do it. And Bradley has been phenomenal. I, I 
you know, I, I bit the bullet and went against my bias, and I he was my hero. I think it was the last show, and he had a couple of plays this series. Uh, not that great uh, offensively. He was 2-for-11 with two walks, didn't drive in any runs. But, but Bradley's going to hurt the lineup more days out of the week than Sandy Leone does. And money. I mean, can't you look at it from a money standpoint as well? I mean, I don't know what Leon's getting paid, but I'd venture to say it's far less uh, than JBJ's making. It's not. I mean, Brad Bradley's getting eight million. I think Sandy's getting two and a half. I mean, on a year like this, that's kind of a big deal. But you know, a year or two from now, you know, two players with that ratio typically aren't gonna. Um, that's not going to be a big enough uh, difference. But anyway, he's my hero. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my hero... As, as much to Jeremy's chagrin. <laughs> my hero will be uh, Brock Holt. Um, really impressive. You know, he was tied for the most RBIs in the Orioles series. He uh, was 4 for 13, uh, had three RBIs tonight alone, which is kind of what, uh, you know, helped me decide on, on him. And they were in three separate at-bats, too. One of them, he, he walked in the, uh, you know, the next run, and then, you know, he, he did the others on base hits. But um, just been phenomenal. He's hitting 308 on the year. He's got a... 792 OPS and for a utility guy like him I'll take that and the impressive thing here was how quickly he made an impact when he came back I mean he's been hitting since he came back and I had the mindset well you know Steve Pierce didn't have much of a spring training and and he was useless for several weeks after coming back so I'm thinking well, you know, Holt's probably going to be the same way, but he's been phenomenal. And I'm not like a big, you know, I don't really like it when athletes get too, you know, I don't know, get too rambunctious with their social media accounts, like the whole Griffin Holt thing. I just, none of that does anything for me. And you know, when when players are in, if he were to be in a slump and all that's going on, I'm just not into it. But he's just, he's been absolutely phenomenal and and I got to give him his due. And he's a, he's a guy that a huge part of the fan base is just infatuated with. You know, I don't want to compare it to Benny or, or Pedroia or, you know, or even Chris Sale, but... You know, he, he's he's a popular player and, you know, good in the clubhouse and he's my hero. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not like infatuated with the player, but he does a number of things. Um, first of all, he was good in the series. So, I like, you know, unlike my opinion of Liz's hero, this is a decent hero. Um he is instant offense. I mean, he really is consistent. The, the thing that holds him back is his inconsistent health. But he is, you know, for example, this year he's 308, 
382 on base percentage, 792 OPS. Like, if you can get those numbers over the course of a full year, I mean, he's a productive major league player. And, you know, he doesn't have uh, enormous power numbers, um, but he's a spray hitter. Uh, he's a professional hitter. Um, he doesn't get himself out a lot by chasing balls. You know, he put he he makes hard contact um, on a, certainly an above average rate. Um, and then, you know, before he came back, we we had so many problems with second base. And we talked about Marco Hernandez on Sunday night. Um, coupled with Holt, like the second base situation is it's it's no longer a situation. It's actually been a really consistent. Um, position both defensively and offensively for the last two weeks and uh holt made a great play tonight in the shift a ball i really didn't think anyone should get to and then he got up and made a play that you know through the runner out wasn't even close it's been really really consistent um he's average to maybe slightly above average around the bag as far as turning double plays and those sorts of things but um you know, I mean, I I have no problem moving forward with Brock Holt as the everyday second baseman. And the other, the other, the, just the last point, his upside offensively is actually, you know, I mean, he he's not gonna win a Silver Slugger, but he was an All Star three years ago, um, and he has the upside to be a three hundred hitter with you know maybe even a four hundred op uh, on base percentage and like an eight fifty ops, which you know, if he can get you 15 bombs uh, in, a, in in this in this season with 60 RBIs, I mean, that's he's going to be a significant part of why I hope this team to, pulls it around. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. 15 would probably be his career high in a season. I don't have his stats up in front of me, but um, but he's he's so versatile and and he's last year he was a great pinch hitter as well and. You know, I, I, he's. It's just hard to. He'd be a hard guy to replace as as a utility guy, and he, it's going to get interesting when Moreland and Pierce come back. Because I mean, you, you know, I I don't know if you can keep Holt and Nunez at that point. Hernandez probably has options to go down, but that's that's a topic for another show. And Holt is certainly safe, but. But he's just, he's been a lot of fun to watch. And he, his plate discipline, you know, he, he's a fun at bat and, uh, you know, a good lefty bat as well. So, um, his, his greatest quality is his selflessness. And his worst quality is his availability. <laughs> and I, to me, that's the absolute best way to describe the player because when he is available, he's good. Right, and he'll play anywhere, and he'll in any spot, and you never hear anything negative about him ever. But he's not always available. I mean that that it is what it is. That's just the that's a fact. Period. End of story. When Andrew Benintendi, uh, oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Well, I was gonna say when Andrew Benintendi came up, he and uh, Brock were the flow bros. Remember that thing that they kind of had going, and sure do. Yeah, that was coming into the 2016 season, and and Brock goes. We'll always be fro- flow bros, you know, even after they trade me. <laughs> even after, yeah, no, they obviously that. are close. He's close with JD. They do the hug thing after JD hits a home run. Um, yeah. The other thing I'll just say briefly is he's significantly younger 
than some of the other options, like, for example, uh, Pierce. I, I think the Red Sox would choose Holt over Pierce. Um, with the way um, Chavis has played, I think they choose Holt over Moreland, actually. And and um, I'll admit that a lot of people may not agree with that. And the other thing I, th- I think a lot of people may not agree with is I think they would choose Holt over Nunez if it came down to it. So to me, Holt is going to be on this team. His position is safe. And um, I think he needs to be with what, unless they make a trade like they did last year to, for like a guy like Ian Kinsler. I think he's your everyday second baseman moving forward, at least four to five games a week. Yeah, I think Marco Hernandez, if if they can find a way to keep him up on the team, would probably get at least one or two in there. And Holt has historically kind of worn out in second halves of seasons as well. So I, you know, I, I think three out of five would probably be ideal for him and kind of keep him in a good rhythm. He is injury prone as well. You know, the thing this and, year was... And he's also, his role is about to be expanded because with... Uh, Devers leaving tonight with what was deemed a tight hamstring. Um, you know, Holt could be the guy in that spot a couple times a week. So, yeah. you know. And Nunez, that's the thing. Holt, Nunez, and uh, Hernandez, I think, can literally play anywhere in the infield. Uh, you know, short isn't, you know, ideal for Nunez, but I know he's done it in a pinch. And. It's just there. We have three really versatile, you know. Well, yeah, I totally guys. agree. But who's the best offense player of the three guys you mentioned? Probably Holt. Yeah, you got to go. With I Holt. would take the word probably out of that. <laughs> yeah, Holt's good. The one thing I think Nunez is just absolutely clutch in, though, is coming off the bench. You know, in a pinch hit role, he hit a bomb recently that kind of put a game out of reach and. He did the same exact thing in game one of the World Series, and um, he's painful on the base pass, you know, a lot of the time. But, but and I, defensive. Yeah, and more so at second. At third, he's not nearly as much of a, a liability over there. But, um, but it's just I, I can find value in, in each one of those guys. And, you know, like I said, you can't keep them all, so. Uh, why don't you uh, go ahead with your uh, zero, Jeremy? Yeah, this one's kind of tough just because he's been so good all year. But one thing we try to do on this podcast is avoid homerism. And if we're going to avoid homerism, then it this I think the zero is in play, and I think it's fair. Um, I just I'm expecting some Twitter fingers. Uh, JD Martinez, Jesus Christ, bro. Um, something's wrong. I actually think he's hurt. I really do. Um, so let me start with the stats. He's two for four in game one, oh for eight with five Ks in game two. That's the 17 inning game, and then one for four tonight, three for 16 in the series. Um, you you lose games when your middle of the lineup bat is oh for eight in a, in a 17 inning game. You just you just do. And he his at-bats have been just of lesser quality than we would expect. Um, tonight he had a check swing on a, on a slider that, I mean, it fooled him. So there's no doubt it fooled him. Like, he was looking fastball and he got slider. 
but he decided like not to check his swing and he did like this 50% swing through the baseball which just led me to believe that either wrist, forearm, oblique, something's bothering him because he made no effort to stop in that sort of like half injured fashion that that you know athletes all you know do. Um, he can't get to pitches outside where he's so good at that. Generally speaking, like outer half, he's gonna hit the ball to right. You know, we've all been there. You know. Uh, Gary Sheffield may be the prime example of a ball that's away. He's still going to pull it. He's going to tap it to short on a one hop. That's not J.D. Martinez. It just isn't. That's He'll hit the ball to right. He'll hit home runs to right. He'll double to right. He'll slug to right. He'll, you know, whatever. Um, but he can't get to that ball right now. And there's been no explanation offered, at least that I've heard, um, although I have admittedly not been really on the internet in the last couple of days, but, um, something's going on with JD. I, I do believe it's health because he's just such a good professional hitter and he's been good all year round and he is our best offensive player. Um, the one game we lost, he went zero for eight in the middle of the lineup. Uh, so, you know, three for 16 in the series, he's my zero. Yeah, and Yankee fans were chirping because we do the same thing when Stanton has a four or five strikeout night. But uh, the one thing. Yeah, but Stanton does that shit all the time. That's not JD. Exactly. And that's why I'm glad we didn't end up with him. But I've also wondered about the injury thing. But at the same time, I mean, why is Cora putting him in the outfield, you know, if he's possibly hurt, you know? And. I'm not saying he isn't hurt because he doesn't look like himself at the plate. And at times he just looks disinterested or, or defeated. Like I, you just don't see the intensity with him at the, um, at the plate as you did last year. And, and then, but then he'll trot him out in the outfield where his risk of injury goes up immensely. I couldn't, I couldn't believe Mookie Betts was DHing tonight when I saw that. <sighs> Guy's in a massive slump. He wants four hundred million bucks, but he's too tired to play right field. You know, and now JD has to do it. And I want JD to stay healthy because I don't think we can go deep, you know, without him. And and it's just it's just tough to figure out certain aspects of this team right now. But but you know, oh for eight, you know, you can't do that. And if he's two for eight, maybe the Sox win last night. So. Yeah, there was, uh, I mean, I wasn't paying as close attention as I know you guys do to him, and you certainly know him better, you know, than I do, but uh, there was one at bat tonight, I want to say it was maybe his third at bat, I I don't recall the exact at bat, but he, he looked like, even though the Sox were winning at the time, but I feel like maybe he is starting to feel the pressure and knowing that he, he is one of the most important people in the lineup. You know, like maybe he's starting to succumb to that. And it maybe it's not a physical, you know, thing. I mean, baseball is definitely a mental game and maybe there's something going on with him. Um, and it's just starting to affect him at the plate. I mean, I, I have no idea. I tend to lean on that versus physical things. A lot of times when you start to see a really good player, you know, start to hit a slump like that, particularly when their body posture and mannerisms start to change. I mean, it's hard to hide that. Um, you know, so, 
I mean, it could be something like that. Maybe I'm completely off. I probably am. Uh, but uh, I just noticed he, he, didn't, he didn't look confident at the plate, like where he normally looks cool, calm, collected, and, and everything. He, he just looked like the, the weight of the world was on his shoulders. He needed to, you know, step up and do it. And, you know, and maybe it was the, you know, that he hadn't been hitting. Maybe it was just that. And, uh, and also, you know, having to play right, you know, having that stress on him, I, I don't know. But uh, he certainly didn't necessarily look like himself. All good points, uh, which leads me to two comments. One, his injury is not so severe that he can't play through it, which is encouraging. And two, unlike certain people, <clears throat> David Price, he's willing he's willing to play through it and either in whatever's the case love the player love the fact that he's willing to play right even though you know mookie needed a blow today the dh like whatever he is to me the quintessential teammate like he's still out there and like i i have in my mind there's zero doubt something's wrong because he's just been that awkward. That check swing tonight where he just had zero interest in fully checking his swing, he's something's going on. But he's willing to play through it. He's not making any fucking excuses. I respect the hell out of that. And guys that are that productive, that have that much respect in the league, you know, I don't care if he's some percentage of himself you still have to honor him as an opposing pitching staff, and that in and of itself has value. Um, and there's no question that, you know, coming into the series or any series, they have to be like, okay, JD's in the lineup. This is where he's hitting. We've got to be, you know, careful with him, you know, whatever. Because, you know, it, it, we know he's been struggling, but we don't want him to break out against us. There's value in that. There just is. So, look, um, I don't want to be overtly negative. I, I do think he's he's nicked up uh, in some capacity. Uh, he was a problem in this series. He was not a positive. He was certainly a zero, and that's why I had him as my zero for this series. And just one more observation. We talked about it before we came on. You know, a lot of his strikeouts are the slider down and away or a fastball, you know, down and away. And, I mean, if he would just if he would just lay off of that area of the plate, a lot of these guys are getting pitched outside, and that's probably why we're not quite as robust as we were last year. Last year, the big thing was keeping the balls up in the zone, and you know that was kind of taking the launch angle thing away. And you know this year, it's on the outer side. But if he would just lay off of those, he would probably walk more or continue the at bat. So I mean, it's a simple adjustment whether he's healthy or not, and. I'm just, I was, he had that, and you pointed it out, you know, he couldn't check the swing earlier and, uh, you know, struck out, but I'm just tired of seeing that. Speaking of playing hurt, I'm sure everybody's seen, uh, talk about a gritty player, freaking Max Scherzer, what the hell, freaking <laughs> breaking his nose and then going out and killing it just like he always does. That's a fucking I, gritty player. I, I, I have. Him. I have the thing I always say, and I think I actually said it on the last podcast uh, with um, Means and you know the left-handed uh, guy who started the third game of the Orioles series. That guy could be a Red Sox. I always say that, right? Like, there's just certain, like, there's just certain people. Mac Scherzer is is to me like 
the great the the great example of that. I, I, I would do unspeakable things to have him be a Red Sox. He's such a gamer. He's so fucking tough. He he commands respect to the manager of the clubhouse. There are so many videos of him basically respectfully telling the manager to turn the fuck around and not come back out. Well, and then he gets the out. Like he's not a he he's not a, a talk about a guy. He's a be about a guy. Like that guy is unbelievable. His quote when when they asked him if he was pitching was awesome. I don't remember it, so I'm not going to guess. But I just remember being like I just this guy, I would do unspeakable things to have him be a Red Sox. And and for some of his personality to bleed into this roster, because if you if you if he would if a guy like that was in this roster, I don't think we're we are where we are right now. So I love the player. He's one of he's probably my favorite non Red Sox of all time, if I'm being completely honest. And I just wish that you know, and he's on the backside of his career, but uh, I just wish that at some point we had him in this uniform to even enjoy one season of that level of toughness, gamesmanship, leadership, and however else you want to describe it. The guy's an animal. There's nobody, well, maybe besides Chris Sale, you know, more intense as uh, Scherzer. And if if the Red Sox, you know, decided to spend big one year earlier when Sherrington was still here and not go with that funky ground ball rate theory, you know, that brought Miley, Porcello, Masterson in, um, you know, they could have had Scherzer. We, we, we would have, we would have been the favorites to land him that off season, but, but we didn't. And they went with the, you know, with the three cheaper guys and, and then Sherrington got fired, and then Dombrowski came in, and then we got Price, <laughs> you know. And uh, you, it could, it could have been Scherzer the whole time. So many things could have happened, you know. That you know that would have been a little different. You know, we could have kept Lester. We could have had Lester and Cole Hamels together for the same exact cost of David Price all by himself. That's how. What if? That's how much what we if bought. What if? Well, <laughs> and I and I get all of that. You still won 108 games and won the World Series in 2018, so it's we, not all bad. We would have won 112 with Lester, though. Kidding? I don't know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But yeah, that um, may be the most Terry Cushman answer of all time. <laughs> okay. And there's yeah. been some doozies over the years. Okay. I, I and I love Cole Hamels too. You know, he's just a guy that I always wanted and. I think since 2014, I've been hearing, oh, he's, you know, he's lost it. You know, he's not the the guy he used to be. And he's still a decent two or three on, on any team's, you know, rotation. And I don't have his stats this year. He had a upper threes ERA last I checked. But been a, been a pretty solid guy for, you know, his whole career. But anyway, uh, Liz, who, who we never even got to your zero. So who is it? No, no, you didn't. And uh, my zero is why I'm having a bad week. Uh, I didn't really think any of the Red Sox, you know, did, did that horribly, so I had to go outside the team. And sorry, not sorry to those who hate when I bring up the Rays, but I've just got to. God damn it, they stuck. They stuck against the Yankees. They didn't. They they didn't help you guys. They didn't help themselves. I mean, shut out by Tanaka on Monday. Uh, Tuesday wasn't wasn't. I mean, we lost, but I mean that. 
wasn't the worst, but still, we lost. And then today, ugh, I was never more happy that I was at work and not able to fucking watch this game. And it was, I mean, Snell didn't even make it out of the first. Like, what the hell? He won the Cy Young last year, and he is but a shell of himself right now. He, uh, I don't know, he broke that toe, and, you know, he's inconsistent as, as hell right now, and, and I don't I don't know. I, I'm hoping it was just a little rough patch uh, for us in general, but who the hell knows? Uh, I know we needed to at least, at least take one of this series, and we didn't, and uh, everybody completely fucking sucked and ruined my week, so... The Rays are my zero. Yeah, and it hurts the Red Sox because we were uh, five and a half games out coming into this series as the Yankees were going into the Tampa one. And um, because they swept and we dropped one, we're six and a half out. So uh, they have Houston next, and uh, hopefully um, they'll get swept (laughs) or something. Yeah. Uh, my hero, we might spend a few extra minutes on this. I was going to kind of make this a segment, but I figured, what the hell? My zero, I mean. Um, I'm going with David Price on this one because we're in a similar spot as we were at the precipice of the Fortnite carpal tunnel uh, thing. Price left this uh, second game with um, five innings pitched, 72 pitches overall. And it it was a one-run game when he left. I don't... There's there's no need for that unless he's injured. And if he's injured, why why are they sending him out to begin with? I mean, that's stupid. In the, I mean, if it was September and it was a playoff race, then maybe. Or October, as we saw with Chris Sale. I mean, he wasn't healthy. He had to, He spent a night in the hospital after the, the Yankees or the Astros start. And so I just, I don't get what's going on here with Price. He had two weeks off last month when he had the elbow tendonitis. So got a little bit of rest there. Came back against the Yankees in his first start. Uh, pitched well. Actually, he pitched against Toronto in his first start. And then uh, New York, very well in those. And then he pitched against the Astros. Left the game after the second batter because of supposed flu-like symptoms. And we had lost the game the night before. So it sucked to lose him in the second game of that set because our bullpen wasn't great at the time. It's been better as of late, but back then it wasn't good. And so we had to sit through a bullpen game. We lost that one and then won the Sunday game. But so, you know, not much wear and tear if he's leaving the game after the second batter and then makes a couple more starts and then leaves the Texas game after giving up several runs, one and one third uh, inning pitched. So very brief start again. There's nobody in this Red Sox rotation more rested than David Price right now. And, I I mean, I can't rule out that he's not injured, but, you know, they they say he isn't. And, you know, is is it a head thing? I just don't know. And before we speculate, actually, further, I have a quote from... uh, Alex Cora, this was after last night's game. So after the 17-inning game, he was asked, 
why was Price taken out after five innings? And Cora says, David was short the other day, and today was one of those we felt like I was going to take care of him. He threw the ball well, but as you guys know, he's a guy we really need to take care of. I know we weren't as limited in the bullpen, but he did an outstanding job, and the guys who came in after him did an outstanding job. We just didn't finish it. And then he, the, the second of the two questions, they asked, was it a pre-planned short start? And then Cora says, kind of. We talked about it. We're going to take advantage of the next 10 to 12 days with the off days and all that. With him going on the IL and the short starts and all that stuff, we have to make sure he's okay. And then immediately after that, he says, he is okay, actually. It's just one of those we felt that today uh, was one of those we were short, all out, and move on. So I, the words in there, I read the words exactly as they were posted. Very, very mixed signals in there, but I find it hard to believe that he's injured and they're still trotting him out there. I mean, what, Jeremy, what's your take on it? I mean, something's up. I mean, if you want to worry about a guy, worry about Chris Sale. He's the guy that has the history of breaking down in the back half of the season and not giving you much when you most need him. I mean, it just does it. Like if 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 what they're if the narrative that's being projected with David Price is is honest and truthful, then they would be doing the exact same thing with Chris Sale, and they're not. I mean, so, I mean, everything else is speculation. I don't know, obviously. They're not telling us the truth. Here's another, you know, way to look at it. You know, who's the doctor here? Is it the Red Sox training staff or is David Price the doctor and everybody's doing what David Price says? That's a good question, Terry. I mean, I don't, I don't, I really don't know. I, I really don't know the answer to that. I, I don't think anybody does. The, the reason I asked, and this, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised to hear that the team and David Price see that differently as well. Yeah, last year, like I said, right as the the whole Fortnite thing was coming to a head, he skipped out on the Yankees start, but the start before that was also against Texas, and he got shelled, left the game early, like two and two-thirds, something like that. Maybe it was three and two-thirds. It was a brief start nonetheless. He got shelled, and before that game, he was getting treatment on something, and it was very vague as to what he was getting treatment on. And Price told, uh, I think it was Rob Bradford, that he was just having problems with his seasonal allergies. And then he goes out, he gets shelled by the Rangers, and the Yankee start is coming up, and... Earlier in the year, he left in the first inning because of hand numbness, which magically went away several minutes later. And Price was telling everybody, you know, after that Yankee, it was a really cold night, but he Price was telling everybody, no, I'm fine. The numbness went away real fast. I'm not going to miss a start. And so it was just a weird situation. And then several starts later, the Texas thing crops up. And then... You know, everybody's wondering what's going to happen with the Yankees start because 
you know, he got he got lit up in the the first inning of of the previous one, and then he skips out on it. And then he goes to Boston. They did a test on his hand. They did a test on his elbow, and they checked his shoulder. Everything except the carpal tunnel came back pristine. Okay, and the Boston media was going crazy with it all week. Like everything was ranging from nothing at all to Tommy John surgery. Like the speculation was wild until he came back with a clean bill of health. And then he was basically solid the rest of the year, you know, save for the July start where he got lit up again, you know, in the Bronx against the Yankees. And he was fine. And I think the Red Sox were sick of his shit, and they 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 gave him every test possible to get exactly to the bottom of it. And when everything came back good, he locked in. And it's just weird. Like everything is always weird with David Price. And I think they coddle him way too much, and they give him way too much leash. And so I don't know if any of that pertains to what's going on right now, but it's hard to ignore the past with him in these situations. Why Why did he leave in the fifth inning of a one-run game? That was insane. And I don't think we're going to have any answers, and it might get weirder from here. I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I'll say is that with Rick and then um, Erod tonight, they obviously overcame his shortcomings. So I, I give all the credit to the rest of the pitching staff, including the the you know the bullpen that got him to the seventeenth inning. I mean, they had to throw you know ten innings. You know, so yeah. I mean, that's the only thing I can comment on that I know about is that. Regardless of what, what whatever's happening with that bitch. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> that slipped. I, for, I forgot for a second we were recording. Um, that player. Um, the rest of the staff uh, carried the load and, and overcame uh, the handicap that he that he provided. I mean, so that and that and I'm, I'm going to choose to focus on that, which is the overwhelmingly positive portion of the of what happened this this week. Um, you know, I just, I'm just totally impressed with Rick, with Erod, with, with the guys that pitched in the game. Um, I mean, it was really impressive, uh, you know, and, and I, I'm going to tell you right now, if he can give you six, seven innings to the wind up winning the game now, we're never going to know, but it's something that you have to consider now with regards to all the other stuff you mentioned, Terry. He's soft as puppy poo, and I have zero doubt that he lacks the toughness that's necessary to be that lead dog. And I again look to Chris Sale, who struggled mightily, and I have long taken the position that it was based on a poor execution of the throwing program in spring training. Never made a single excuse has completely righted the ship and has been there for his team in every possible capacity. And then this guy. And I just am sick and tired of his bullshit. And I and and core and look, respect for Cora for going out in the media and saying, you know, we wanted to give him a break and you know we, we want to protect him. And well that's great. And that's why I think Cora is an elite manager. But I'm just he, 
he's this player is just such a bitch. I'm just sick and fucking tired of it. And 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 right when we're about to turn the corner and be the team that we think we're going to be, he, he in my opinion, he asked out of a game. Or if he didn't ask out of the game, it was made known that I'm done. And so, you know, they lose a 17 inning game that maybe they shouldn't have lost. If he so, does and, it, and look. Oh, go ahead. Finish your point. No, my no, I'm no because my the rest of my point is me cursing and calling him a bitch. Okay, oh, that's fine. Um, all right, I I'm just saying if he does it again, he's a quitter. If he does it again and he doesn't go on the DL, he's quitting on the team. And here, here's no, another... Terry. He is a quitter. That's the problem. It's it, you're dead on right. He quit in the Fortnite store start. He quit. He 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 quits all the time. The minute it gets difficult, this motherfucking coward quits. And he does. And and, and look, no one can... Here's the thing. I dare you to challenge me on that comment. I dare you to take Price's side. (laughs) I'm not taking his side. I mean, the only thing you can possibly... No, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about, you know, whoever else. The listener. Okay. Yeah. The only thing you can say is that, well, he showed up in the playoffs. Well, game two of the ALDS, he did not. He cowered into a corner and handicapped you. You were just historically great and overcame it but i mean that's what he i mean he just he and and he always does it in fantastic fashion we always talk about how rick porcello like he doesn't have it right he has that start last month where he gave up i think four earned runs in the first inning but pitched seven in the third innings and only gave up one more hit you know where 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 a player like erod for example doesn't have it tonight he doesn't have it He's given up. He gave up two absolute bombs. I mean, missiles. Still pitched seven innings. Still gave you a chance to win the game. Give me examples of when David Price has done things like those examples. Exactly. He just hasn't. He's not a bulldog. He's a fucking coward. Exactly. He, no, he's a coward. And the minute it gets tough, he rolls over and dies. And the and the organization plays into it because they they take him out of the game and they say things like, "Oh, Fortnite." Or he had the flu, or we want to protect him. I mean, it's just he's being handled with kid gloves, and I'm just sick and tired of it because we are not historically great this year. We need him to be great so that we can get where we want to be, and he's handicapping us. One final question on that kind of relates to this. Alex Cora, we've seen him call out guys like Devers and Erod earlier in the year when they were having various issues. Does he do the same thing with his veterans? Or do they get a free pass most of the time? Because that's what it looks like to me. I think it's a great point. And I think the answer is clear. That he he knows who he can do it with. And who he can't. Yeah. And so he can't. He. I mean, that's why they're. I mean, look. Obviously, they're coddling Katie, uh, uh, Price. I mean, come on, honestly. But yeah. he, for example, he knows Erod can take it. So Erod struggles in a start, and he gets up on the podium. He's like, he wasn't good enough tonight. You know, he wasn't competitive in the strike zone. He all the buzzwords. And then Erod comes out five days later and shoves it. Yeah. So I, I mean, he's handling it based on the player, which pisses me off. That's the one thing I don't like. Because I do think Core is a top five manager. I mean, and again, I don't want to make um, 
cross-sport comparisons because we all know how much Terry loves that. But Bill Belichick, the greatest coach of all time, probably, at least in modern sports history, is, I mean, he doesn't discriminate against who he's going to criticize. Uh, uh, the Bruins, who just went on a deep run, all said the same thing. Cassidy criticized players uniformly. Didn't matter how much or how long or how uh, your stature or anything. If you didn't play well, he he was like, look, you got to be better. For whatever reason, this organization can't handle that. They they have to handle the players differently. It, it's frustrating, in my opinion. Do 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 you think it's a front office trickle down? Oh, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Like, hey, I, we spent I, all this money. They're they're if they're doing poorly, just suck it up and you know not do necessarily whatever they want, but you know blame it on something else. You know. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think it's a good point. I think it's a good point because I think it's an accurate point. You know, I mean, look, the the, the there's no question that this organization has more influence top down than most, at least in Boston. Uh, Sam Kennedy being at press conferences. Um, with players and the manager and what, and you know, and Dombrowski that Sam Kennedy is the, is the business side of the, of the organization. He shouldn't, we, I shouldn't even know his name, but yet everyone knows his name. That's, you know, a a diehard fan, or at least listens to all the shit I listen to. And you guys listen to, uh, and Liz don't for a second say you're not a Red Sox fan. That's just (laughs) ridiculous. So, but I'm serious. Like, that's the point. Like it, it, and they, and they have to be sensitive to it because they've had so many bad contracts. You know, and they, they want to minimize but, the damage with with this long bad contract. But is coddling the players really the way to minimize the damage? Like, you don't have to talk shit about them, you know, to, to make them be oh, better. No, Liz, you're dead on right. 100%. I couldn't agree with you more. Just hold them accountable. I'm not saying you have to be like Lou Pinella and get in the in in in, in the press conference and say like you know Daryl Strawberry's you know a coke addict a coke addict loser who can't hit his way out of a paper bag. I'm not saying you got to do that approach, but just hold people accountable. Bruce Cassidy is a great example of it. Bill Belichick, obviously the best example of it. Uh, but but you know. This organization is not great. And by the way, it stems all the and, and it's not like Cora's immune. Farrell was the worst. That guy, that guy would deflect like no one's business. So well, of, course, and, of course it's organizational down and not from the manager. Well, and, and not to go down a rabbit hole because I, I know it's starting to get late and we need to uh, head on to other things, but, and I actually have a totally separate other question, but um, do other do you really see other teams? Like, can you name another team where the manager criticizes a player like Price? Like, doesn't treat him any differently than somebody who's making league minimum, for instance. As far as, you know, being critical when he's not, you know, up to par. Madden comes to mind. Sure and I, but here's the thing. Um, I'm, not, I'm not saying be critical. 
I'm saying not critical, but hold hold, holds them accountable in the same exactly, in the same fashion. Exactly. There you go. 100%. That's more, I guess, what I mean. A hundred percent, Terry. You want to tackle that one? Well, I mean, Joe Girardi, you know, I think kind of was pretty stern with players when he had to be. Um, I had one other one in mind. I, I think Joe Madden kind of, you know, from a leadership standpoint behind the scenes, probably is very well balanced. Uh, Tori Lovello, I think, uh, you know, might be another guy. But but with the Red Sox, I mean, I, I do think that, that Cora just he's too laid back with a lot of those guys and there's a lot of highly paid players in there there's a lot of huge personalities in there I mean David Price Chris Sale JD Martinez you know I think Ben Intendi is kind of working his way up the food chain Bogarts just landed a big contract and I, I think Bogarts is an extremely positive influence but there's a lot of big personalities in there and you know, I don't think the 2017 Houston Astros were at that point yet. You know, some of them have, some of them have gotten paid and and you know are kind of used to being that force. And I think the 2016 Cubs weren't really at that point yet. You know, they had a couple of older veterans, but they had a really young core, and they you know they were all hungry for a title and. And that was a very well-balanced team. And this is a very veteran-laden team. And shit gets stale. And you, sometimes you have to mix up the chemistry a little bit. And we've we've kind of talked about that. And, you know, one of the scenarios was maybe trading Mookie. Now that we're playing better, that's kind of more of a long shot. And quite frankly, probably less necessary during the season. But, um, but you know, it's it's a concern, and we saw it in 2011 with the Red Sox when the collapse happened, and then, you know, 2012 with Valentine was just a disaster. But, um, but you know, the, there's so many dynamics that go into it, and I just, I'm not sure Alex Cora is going to put his foot down when he has to. And, you know, that's a huge concern right now. And part of that may stem from the fact that he was still playing, you know, at the end of his career when a lot of these guys' careers were starting. For example, he played with Pedroia. And it's not a secret that he's a personal friend of Dustin Pedroia. So, I mean, you know, that's there's some belief in coaching circles that you got to wait 10 years. You got to let the current guys get out of the game so that you can come into the next group and there's you know there's a there's a change there and you know maybe that's some of it now with all that said i still want core like i'm a core guy but uh you know and uh, and look uh, we've already I, we've talked about this point too so i'll just say it quickly there's certain types of athletes you coddle and there's certain types of athletes you can criticize to motivate them Erod's a great example. That guy, that guy has taken, you know, he's been sewered by the manager, and he comes out and performs. David Price needs to be coddled. Period. End of story. The team knows it. The manager knows it. Upper management knows it. 
The roster knows it, and the fan base knows it. So it's just not going to change. They have to coddle the player. And just another thought comes to mind. I mean, he didn't have any problems at all pitching for Madden. Like, there was no... He had, like, one social media outburst when we knocked them out of the playoffs in 2013, but there wasn't, like, a pattern of, you know, of abrasive, you know, situations. And... He wasn't with the Tigers for very long, but um, you know, he, you know, he played for Brad Osmus in that time period, and no real issues there. And then he comes to Boston, and he has tons of issues. So it's just, it's just adds to the enigma, I guess. Liz, you had one more question. You said, or did you I get it? Did. I did. It doesn't have to do with price. It's something totally separate. Um, I just want to talk about Chavis uh, for a minute. I know he had been struggling a little bit at the plate, and uh, I know, well, now he's on like a nine or ten game uh, hit streak. And uh, he's probably my second favorite guy. I guess I got to say that. But um, I know a couple shows ago, I can't remember, I was talking about how when Cash tried to force Kevin Kiermeyer. Um, to bat leadoff or second or something like near the top of the lineup, basically where Chavis was, um, he struggled. And then when he shifted him to the back of the lineup uh, or toward the back of the lineup, he miraculously started to do, I don't want to say awesome, but better. Uh, he was just a, it was just a better fit for him down there, whether or not it was the pressure of not batting leadoff or what, I don't know. But uh, it almost seems like now that Chavis is a little more toward the back of the lineup, like what's, what's he batting, like sixth or something like that? Uh, he seems to be a little more solid and, uh, and, and doing a little better than he was. Um, of course, he came out the gate super hot, but then he kind of settled down a little bit. Do you think that shift in the lineup has made the difference or he just figured out something with his swing or what do you what do you credit? you know, this hit streak too, and kind of getting back on track for him. I think it was just growing pains. Eventually there was going to be enough at bats for there to be data for pitchers to look at. And they adjusted to him quicker than he adjusted to them. And I think he's kind of got a better footing on it. If we weren't so injured, you know, uh, you know, we're, we've got two first basemen out and, and Holt's been back for a little while. You know, if we had the depth, he might have gotten sent down. I can't say for sure one way or the other, but he was bad enough to certainly justify it for a two or three week period. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, we didn't have the depth. And so he stayed up and and has figured it out. And that is extremely encouraging to see. And, you know, he started he had a decent series against the Rangers, who are a decent team, might might contend for a second wild card and you know the Orioles obviously bad pitching staff so can't take much from that but then he carried it into this twin series and against a really good pitching staff and and you know has has found his way out of it and and that's exactly what you want to see with a with a rookie you know that they can they can solve these problems at the major league level and it just gets me all that much more excited going forward about him. 
Yeah, I really yeah. like him. I mean, as as much as as much as you know, I I hate uh, I hate to like like this team. Like I, I really Liar. like Chavis, and I <laughs> I hope I hope uh, I know every single time I say that I know that's what you're going to say, Jeremy. But um, but I mean, I I'd like to see him do well. So, well, of course you do. Mm. Um, the thing I'll say about that is the thing that I've noticed is the long, you know, home runs are fewer and far between, Mm. but the base hits have now been sprayed to left center and right. And there's obviously a change in his approach, in my opinion, uh, which dictates those sorts of results. So the, you know, the long moon shots, the left are gone. Uh, well, not gone. I mean, look, he's, he's, he's got tons of power. He's a full max swing guy, but you know, you know, he had a base hit to right tonight. Great sign. Base hit up the middle. Uh, he had a ball up the middle today that actually happened to be right at uh, a shifted player. That would be a base hit under normal defensive circumstances. Um, still obviously capable of pulling the ball. Uh, so a lot of his success to me is, um, a clear change in his approach. Uh, he, you know, he ran into some pitches early where he was able to hit balls like 500 feet and it was great and it was glorious. And, uh, he got on sports center a lot and a lot of people are talking about it, but now he's, you know, he's productive, but just in a different fashion and, I think it's a fashion that leads to uh, longevity and uh, more consistent production. So I look, and and like Terry said, I I don't discount the fact that he was able to do this at the major league level. A lot of people can't do that. They got to be sent down. They they figure it out. They come back up. And shit, a lot of people have to go down two or three, four, five, six times before they figure it out, or they don't even figure it out. This guy who's very young. Uh, was able to figure it out at the major league level, and uh, you know, and you guys all know how much I hate giving Terry any sorts of credit, but uh, the point's valid. I mean, he was able to do it at the major league level. He was able to grow uh, as a result of his stra- struggles in the at the major league level. It's just uh, that's not the rule; that's the exception. So, credit to the player. Uh, there are things I don't like about Chavis, but. Uh, he's competitive as hell. Um, uh, you know, he's been surprisingly good at first for a guy who basically didn't have any minor league ex- experience at the spot. So, you know, tough to criticize the player, you know. The, the uh, and, I, and honestly, I think Chavis is a big part of why this team's starting to win. I mean, he's solidified some stuff here. And it, imagine if we didn't have Chavis. Someone answered me the question, who's playing first with both with with both uh, Moreland and uh, Pierce out of lineup, I mean, what would we be doing without Javis? Exactly, you know, and he's been the spark plug basically, you know, since he got up here. And the opposite field thing was an excellent point. And Jerry Remy during the pod uh, podcast during the broadcast um, said he says he basically said, "There you go, the opposite, you know, field hits." count too, you know, and I don't know if that's a JD thing working with him because he's, you know, a pretty good opposite field hitter at times and uh, Bogarts also. So, you know, maybe some of the, you know, veterans are kind of helping him, you know, 
be a little bit more dynamic and you know which which way he goes and and uh you know sometimes you have to do that especially if you're getting pitched to the outside of the plate the way we have been you know you can just stick the bat out there and just slap uh you know ball through the gap you know into right field and you know get a single so um well and jared Jeremy made a great point, uh, and I don't know why I didn't I didn't mention this also, but he he definitely has shortened maybe not shortened up on his swing. That's not what I mean, but it it seems like he's not trying to make every hit a home run anymore. Home runs are great, but I mean I've always been a proponent that you know it's small ball or you know it's it's singles and doubles you know that win games. It, it's it's not always home runs. So right, yeah, I'll take I'll take a good contact hitting team any day. You know, so this is what it is. We well, should... that's that's why I always talk about OPS. I mean, if you're a regular listen listener to this podcast, at some point you're like Jeremy, just stop with the OPS. Well, guess what? The OPS accounts for all of that. It's on base. It's slugging. It's batting average. It's everything. Right. And it's not so confusing where you have to apply advanced statistics. I mean, these guys that our plus OPS players are going to be a offensive plus to your team. So Chavis is uh, dropped to seven ninety nine, um, despite what some would consider a subpar average at two sixty one. Well, guess what? He's still slugging. He's st- like tonight, two for five, two hits, two RBIs. He's he's overwhelmingly a plus offensive player at the major league level period the stats dictate that there's no question so i mean and look a lot you know if he failed which he has not but let's say he has failed both either offensively or defensively a lot of people would say well fine he was never asked to play first he was brought up too soon but Despite what that, despite that perception, he's been great. He is literally sixty points better than the major league average OPS. He's already got like thirteen home runs. He's he's slugging at a very productive rate. He's been great. I mean, he really has. There's no question about it. So, and if you're if you're going to hit him seventh, which they did all series in Minnesota. That goes to helping turn over the lineup now that Bradley's hitting. Unfortunately, Leon is also hitting ninth, <laughs> and he sucks. Hey, he did. He drew a walk tonight. See how I worked that in? See how I worked that in there, Terry? <laughs> he drew a walk. Heavy eye roll. Heavy <laughs> eye roll. <laughs> yeah. Let's uh, get into Toronto because, you know, we're super late. Um, uh, I'll, I'll just go through the matchups real quick. Uh, game one, uh, Trent Thornton versus Chris Sale. Sales only had one start against Toronto this year. That was the home opener. Not good. It was, you know, he wasn't good for his first several starts. He went four innings, seven hits, five earned runs, struck out only three. Pitching much better now. I don't think he shouldn't have any issues. Uh, I'm not familiar with Trent Thornton. He's a rookie, made his debut this year. Um, 
he's for the most part he he goes about five innings in the game sometimes six gives up three or four runs at least he's never given up more than five his era is uh 4.36 and he is coming off of probably his career best start so far against the houston astros uh six and two-thirds innings six hits zero earned runs walk three struck out seven so Hopefully this isn't one of those matches matchups where we're unfamiliar with the guy and our bats end up being quiet. And it's fitting that he's up against Chris Sale, who doesn't typically get a ton of run support. But um, I would say this is a winnable game. One, you know, regardless. Absolutely, no doubt. I, I mean, in general, I think the the series is going to go the same way. I, it went before, um, and this is definitely a game that they're going to win. Yeah, you would think so. I mean, the Blue Jays suck. Yeah, I mean, they just they just suck. They're all right, so they're twenty six and forty eight with a three fifty one uh, winning percentage. So that account that you know that's fifty six wins on the year. I mean, that is pathetic. Um, they're twelve and twenty-five at home, fourteen and twenty-three on uh, on the road. They have a negative ninety-one uh, run differential, and they're three wins in their last uh, ten games. They suck. Um, they've got uh, Guerrero Jr., who's uh, an absolute electric factory, um, and I, I'm actually looking forward to seeing him in the series. But I mean, you got I mean Chris Sale. Been great, trending in the right direction. All those things uh, against what appears to be, you know, an average guy. Just I, I'd be sh- if they lose this game. Uh, I mean, see, you're already sending me in a dark place. Well, I, they're going to win this game. The one thing I do worry about, though, is the way he uh, kind of finished the Baltimore start, where he just completely and uncharacteristically lost command of everything. And I think we were up 3 nothing at the time, and it became 3-2, and, it, you know, we kind of walked the tightrope a little bit, and the, the bullpen uh, managed to, you know, hold it. But, um, you know, I mean, if he comes out and he's lights out, then obviously nothing to worry about. But if he doesn't look good those first couple innings, you know, I'll probably be a little concerned, you know, knowing how the uh, the final inning he pitched in the, in the Baltimore game went. So one thing to watch for anyway. Uh, game two uh, is a complete, uh, a complete uh, crapshoot. Uh, not literally, fortunately, but uh, they're currently uh, to be announced as far as who their starter is, and we're sending out Brian Johnson. So, yeah, I mean, here, here's the thing that I think is going to be the, the deciding factor in this game. This is a deep level of analysis, so get your pens ready. Okay. One team, one team's the Blue Jays, and okay. one team's the Red Sox. Right. So I just got to believe the Red Sox find a way to win this game. Well, that would be wonderful. 
Uh, there's no real reason to, you know, spend much time on it. So we'll skip to game uh, three now, which is kind of a fun matchup. Uh, Marcus Stroman versus uh, Rick Porcello. Porcello obviously coming off one of his better starts of the year, if not the best start of the year. Um, you know, seven scoreless innings. He has one prior start this season against the Blue Jays, which was a very good one. Uh, May 22nd, he went six innings, only gave up three hits, uh, one earned run, struck out only three, but, uh, you know, was pretty efficient nonetheless. And then Stroman, having probably a career best year, has had several quality starts uh, in a row with the exception of uh, a six earned run blip against the Arizona Diamondbacks. He, uh, I don't think many Red Sox fans are going to forget about uh, his game earlier this year. Uh, Six innings pitched, gave up uh, just one run, struck out four, and uh, taunted the Red Sox for most of the start. So hopefully a little bit of revenge uh, this weekend. And, And we'll be at Fenway for this one. Strowman's a good Strowman's a good arm, no question about it. Uh, this is the game where I have the most concern. Um, you know, mixes his speeds. He's competitive as fuck. Um, you know, as good as Rick was, uh, my hero from you know the Twin series. You just you know you don't know what form you're going to get of him. So this is the game I worry about. Um, I, I do like the fact that. Um, maybe this is the game they respond to that whole, you know, thing that you're describing that happened, you know, about a month ago. So, I mean, I, I think they win two out of three in the series. I do. I feel strongly about it. I think a, see, a sweep is on the table because this team just, the, 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 they're slightly above the Royals and the Orioles as far as, like, talent-wise. Strowman's a legitimate arm. Uh, so I do think they, I think they win two out of three or sweep the series. So that's where I'm at with this. Was, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is the only game that really concerns me. I mean, I, I just like like I said, the, the last series, the Stroman start was the only one that that concerned me. I think the best thing that uh, I mean, obviously, other than score. Uh, the best thing they can do if they can't, uh, you know, get any runs against him is just going to be to work pitch counts and try to get his uh, his uh, his pitches turned about, you know, as quickly as possible and get that bullpen in there. And uh, that's really what's going to be the deciding factor is what they can do against that. But Stroman just sucks, which is totally possible. Um, that that's kind of really where I'm at. That, that'd be the only thing because I think Porcello is going to go in and and. Uh, and be awesome. I mean, guess who's? You're all choppy there with your audio. We got most of it. Oh, sorry. Weir- oh, sorry. Weirdly, uh, in the last start, he did walk five batters and struck out only four, and but only gave up an earned run. So you don't see that too often. More walks than strikeouts, but. If I remember right, that was just a frustrating game where the Red Sox just couldn't do anything. You know, they kept stranding base runners and. Um, hopefully they, uh, you know, find a rhythm. They, they should have plenty of target practice the first two games anyway. 
But uh, on that note, I think uh, we can wrap, and then we'll be back on Sunday night to uh, recap it and uh, talk about, I think, the White Sox come to town. So any final thoughts? Got to beat the bad teams. Yeah. Well, we swept two bad teams, so, you know, this will – be a, a good opportunity to do it to a third team and uh if we're really lucky maybe the astros will sweep the yankees yeah that's <laughs> what i was just about to say go go astros and uh god damn it i hope the rays can do something against the a's and don't continue to completely suck out loud good night everyone good night have a good night A very late uh, episode, one thirty a.m. as I'm wrapping this right now. I have to be up in uh, just over three hours, and I, I won't be to bed for at least another 30 minutes. But, um, but good series against the Twins. Bitter pill to swallow with the 17-inning game. We were undefeated in extra innings on the road, so... Uh, four and one now overall and uh but things are trending the right way and uh the rest of june is pretty favorable so if everyone does their job we should be able to cut this uh deficit down six and a half games to uh hopefully two or less would be nice but uh we'll see and uh we'll be back on sunday night So everybody have a good uh, rest of your work week and weekend. Take care.